Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this week, we are going to talk about how it's totally cool for people of color to be racist against white people in any way it's not racist, and I'm going to explain how. We're going to take also a look also at some bumptious borderline babes who are trying to get them some prison murderer daddy, and they're telling the world about it. <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. What's going to be a little bit less fun is our discussion about commercial surrogacy, commissioning children for sale. It's human trafficking. It's commissioning, buying, and selling babies. And the women and the gay men who are getting culturally gushed over for doing it, well, we're going to talk about whose interests are really being served in this scenario. But I'm going to start with the really spicy stuff this week because I've had enough. I've had more than enough of racist so-called people of color, particularly racist, narcissistic black people. I am entirely done with them. And I hope that I'm going to be able to persuade some of you to be entirely done with this as well. Because we white people, yes, I know, as I say it, and I know that some of you are feeling it, as that comes out of my mouth, there's a little mm in the gut, isn't there? Because there's, there's an emotional hook, right? We white people, scary, scary words, right? Clan, clan, confederacy, those are all the associations that are coming up in your head. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Simply descriptive. We white people need to stop both perpetuating this racism against us. We also need to stop being silent about it. So there is a war on noticing. I didn't come up with that phrase. I was racking my brain trying to remember who did, but it's a wonderful phrase. There is a war on noticing um, and noticing lots of things, noticing the violence of transing children, noticing the lies about climate extreme emergencies, noticing the lies about vaccines. But the biggest war on noticing, in my view right now, is the war on noticing how racist non-white people have become to white people and how very comfortable they are doing it publicly. Very comfortable. The kinds of things that I am hearing out of people's mouths on TikTok, on social media, in articles, in full-length videos from so-called people of color would have gotten you knocked to the ground in a bar room 20 years ago, which is exactly what people who say these things deserve. But not now. Black people insult white people, claim that they are responsible for everything that's wrong in that black person's lives, uh, condemning their ancestry, their lineage, telling them they are responsible for the sins of their fathers, even if their fathers never were slave owners. White people don't object now. They get down on their knees and put kente cloth on their head and start washing the feet of the people abusing them. I'm not going to do that. I came across a video, and I'm sorry about this uh, to the young man that we're going to show you here. When, when you, this is a, a problem of the modern digital world. You notice something, you notice a video, 
you see it, you're like, I want to clip this. I want to use it for later. You bring it into your machine. You make a note, blah, blah, blah. I forgot to catch the link to where it is. So now there's no string of words that I can put into Google that will discriminate finely enough for me to find this person. So I'm sorry, anonymous young Asian college student. I really would like to give you credit. Um, uh, but we're going to use some clips from your video because it's so good. Let's roll out the first one where this young man talks about what he's noticing. Let's talk about what we're doing to white people. There's been something going on for a while now that we're being told not to notice. More to the point that we're asking white people not only to ignore, but to accept. The rising tide of racial hatred against white people. In the past decade, there has been a noticeable cultural shift in what constitutes acceptable speech as it relates to white people. Back when I was a kid in the early 2000s, the mainstream American culture preached about respecting each other's differences and not seeing color. Nowadays, we say that not seeing color is racism, that you must see color. But the more I see how things are unfolding, the more I'm convinced that this is wrong. Back then, saying something offhanded about white people were seen as not appropriate, just as it would be to say something offhanded about people of any other race. But that soon gave way to our current times, in which there exists virtually no limit to what racial minorities can and do say about white people. Okay, so that's a good setup. I'm going to give a little more time to him before we go into some examples that he called in the video. So listen to this. Listen to this. I believe this is the natural outgrowth of a perverse ideology that teaches us that everything, every societal ill, is the fault of white people and that whatever prejudice acts we may inflict upon them does not constitute discrimination because we don't have the power to discriminate. And alarmingly, this is particularly pronounced in the younger generation. But is it true? Do we not have the power to discriminate? Well, let's see. First, let's take a look at the racial hatred at the interpersonal level. In today's society, it has become somewhat fashionable to think things and say things about and to white people that would not be acceptable if it was said about any other race. I think he's absolutely right. And I think that anyone who has their eyes open and who is intellectually honest knows that he is absolutely right. So let's take a look at some of the videos that he's pulled together. I, I watched this entire video. He does is 16 minutes. We're not going to show you the whole thing. We're just showing you some highlights. But I can tell you that with all of the examples we're going to see here, I have seen this kind of thing dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. This is not cherry picking. These are not one out of 100 videos. These are common. So this one, um, well, we'll take a listen to what this young woman has to say about white people. So I've compiled some TikTok videos. I want you to take a look at the things that are being said about white people, especially by the younger generation, the kind of statements people wouldn't dare say about people of any other race. Take a look at what is stunningly in vogue in today's society and ask yourselves, where does this lead to years down the line? you have a token white and you're hanging out with your friend group of color, you need to ask permission from everybody in the group to bring your white friend. Like, don't just bring them. I might not be in the mood to deal with white shenanigans that day. That's that's all I'm saying. And another thing, it feeds into their ego. Like, don't, don't let them think they're a good white Now, notice a couple of things here. Uh, if you're watching on the screen, you can see the spelling of the captions that she put over this. And white people are spelled YT, just simply the letters YT. That's the cutesy new way of talking about white people. We're going to have some even cuter names for them. It feeds into their ego to let them think they're a good person, she says. 
That's a narcissistic reversal. Don't let them think they're a good person. That's another example. This is, this is actually good for pointing out cluster B behavior and cluster B thinking. This is splitting. 100% good or 100% evil. It's very typical thinking of those with borderline personality disorder, but it's also typical thinking of anyone who is extremely committed to a particular ideology um, in a way that makes it impossible or difficult for them to discriminate in any shades of gray when something is in front of them. Um, this is going to be uh, either appearance number two or three for male Pocahontas. He's been on this show before. His name is Lance Tosi, uh, and he makes sure to display his uh, Crystal Gale luxurious hair um, artfully draped over his shoulder in every one of his videos. So here is his wisdom. Accomplices ask, how can they support black and indigenous people of color? And sometimes I really don't know what to say, but here's one easy way. Just don't have babies. So white accomplices, notice the language, white accomplices ask him how they can help. And he says, don't have babies. Oh, you're so cute, Pocahontas Lance. You're so sweet and so wise. So very indigenous wise. <laughs> you could be on a box of butter. <laughs> okay. Um, next, we're going to go to a woman whose name I've decided is Lakeisha. These are some things I noticed about white American culture. Being grounded is a punishment to them. That's what they call punishment. Mm. The least grounded, least balanced, most destructive race considers being grounded a punishment. Yeah. They also say really violent phrases. Like they say things like, kill two birds with one stone. Why do we have to kill the birds? Why is everything so violent? It's almost like one's language and phrases reflects one's nature. Hmm. Ah, so white people have a, have a, have a lot of violent sayings. They say, they say, kill two birds with one stone. Why do you have to kill the bird? She asks. How are you going to get your fried chicken? Hmm. I told you it was going to be spicy. Kevin, put a sound effect in for that wink, please. <laughs> seriously here to take this seriously it's nonsense <laughs> and yeah yeah honey it is almost like that it is almost like one's words reflect one's nature uh this oh here's a good one here's a really good one let's let's take a listen to this one uh particularly because she has a gold lame headband here go y'all cum goblins who don't even live in the fucking city. Which, by the way, the Q-tip people are the last ones to ever talk about somebody stealing anything. Y'all wouldn't be in this country had it not been for y'all stealing it. So y'all are more focused on people looting and trying to get necessities and things that they need. And yes, a TV is a fucking necessity thing. You feel like you're better than because people are out here stealing and ugh, you would never. First of all, if you are a male monster, that is how your ancestors got everything from stealing. Okay, this one's a little difficult for me because come goblins. <laughs> She's a wretched, horrible person, but that is extremely funny. <laughs> Y'all come goblins. <laughs> the Q-tip people. 
Notice, um, oh, I mean, she's completely full of shit. Um, it's just, it's absurdly hysterical. Uh, notice the histrionic affectations. Right? I mean, I know I do those too, but I am here to entertain you. I mean, I do this on purpose. This is a show. I'm not just reading a story to you. But these people are trying to... Con <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Um, male monsters. She gives us male monsters because, of course, there's something really weird about people liking mayonnaise. And only white people like mayonnaise. And that's something that we all learned 10 years ago. Um, but the, the defending theft... The defending, looting, and robbing stores. And she says, quote, and yes, the TV is a fucking necessity. This is what I mean when I talk about the fact that we don't have poor people in America. I don't want to hear about people grinding away in poverty when they have cell phones in their pockets. They actually have computers in their pockets that are thousands of times more powerful than the entire mechanical computing and digital computing apparatus that put a rocket and men on the moon. That's our poor people. So um, uh, here's another. Here's some more splitting. Um, no, no, not splitting behavior. Spitting behavior. Take a listen to her. And that's a behavior that's very common among white women. You may have not intended that, but there are many white women who act exactly like you. So we got um, white people. You see the deliberate aggression, right? This is deliberate. These people are getting off on, on being as aggressive as they possibly can. This is a turn-on for them. It's a political turn-on for some of them. I think it's a sexual turn-on, too. Yes, I do. Um, and, of course, we have to have a capo. Listen to this um, apparently 60-ish gray-haired woman talk about her allyship we're both white women we are inherently a danger in spaces for black indigenous and other people of color simply by existing so we are we white people are inherently a danger you know a lot of these women like this i've known a lot of women like this one they look to me like they're acting out a masochistic fantasy that is typical i'm sorry again of borderline personality disorder um she's engaged in a humiliation ritual she's abasing herself or appearing to abase herself and she's getting something out of that that's the thing you got to remember ask yourself what people are getting out of this because no one does any behavior that does not bring them at least that they believe brings them some benefit. So what benefit do they think they're getting from this? It's a good question to ask. One of the women, like I, we had a donor at my last job, a donor to the charity that I worked for, who looked like this woman and sounded like this woman. And yes, she lived in Seattle. And she, um, she spent her free time mentoring convicted murderers on death row with reading and writing and poetry and self-expression. And she uh, told me she particularly liked working with those with borderline personality disorder. Um, and then one day she went ballistic on me in email because we'd been exchanging a couple of, hi, how are you? Thank you very much for your kind gift this year. And she had the uh, nerve uh, to inquire about my vaccine status. And I stupidly... Um, uh, answered that question. And I got back a letter 
uh, with a lot of all caps typing that said things like, that's a very white privilege of you, Josh. How dare you? You have a responsibility to public health, blah, blah, blah. Scream, scream, exclamation point, scream, scream. Then, of course, she ended up sending letters to my board of directors during my canceling, um, lying and making up fake conversations where she claims that I hung up on her on the telephone and all sorts of things that never, ever happened. So um, <laughs> watch out for these women. And let's take this, let's take this back to, to the original young man. Um, and let him summarize this more from his video. Some people look at that and chalk it up to the grumblings of the powerless. That's the idea that when you have a power disparity, the less powerful sort of has this general society given leeway to complain about the more powerful. The villagers complaining about their king doesn't have the same ring as the king making snide and crude comments about the villagers. But that's not what's going on here. Because although certain segments of our society refuse to believe this, even as evidence mount before our very eyes, in one side of the political aisle, people of color actually have greater power than white people. That is the truth that is not being acknowledged by the people that need to hear it because this gets in the way of them wielding that power in the way they want, malignantly. I've heard from somewhere that politics is downstream of culture and I think that is certainly correct. We have a mainstream culture that tells us it's okay to hold prejudiced and hateful view of white people and our politics is then infused with this energy and we see active, overt, and on the books racial discrimination of white people that those who are perpetuating this hatred is refusing to see as discrimination. They'll say, no, no, no. This is remediation. These are the same people who are making tenuous arguments that some of our race-neutral laws discriminate against people of color. And this is certainly evidence that in one side of the political aisle, people of color have more power than white people. He's right. And he's very brave at his age. He looks like he, he's college age, maybe. He's very brave to say these things. Yes, so-called people of color in our culture on the left side of the aisle, which is mainstream right now, they do, in fact, have more power than white people. It's not even, it's not a dispute. That's not a crazy thing to say. Anyone can see it. Uh, yes, the people you see making videos like this, uh, really putting themselves out there, they do want to use this power malignantly. They are narcissistic. They are sadistic. They do exhibit signs of dark triad personality traits, Machiavellianism, sadism, psychopathy. No, I'm not saying that all of these people are diagnosable psychopaths. Yes, I am saying that this kind of sentiment fits really snugly within dark triad personality traits and within cult-style thinking, which is, which is what they're involved in. Um, and I've got a message for those of you listening and watching who are white people, and this is a message that I wish someone had delivered to me five or six years ago. Um, stop stop silently accepting this okay you know I, I'm always urging listeners to stand up to cluster B behavior and to stop silently taking it to draw boundaries we need to do this with the racist people of color too they're getting no pushback because white people are terrified so stop being terrified okay how do I do that? I don't know. Just stop it. Just make a decision. Just go out there and do it even if you're scared. Ah, ah, nope. There's no other secret key. Govern yourself. Figure yourself out. Do it. Stop laughing along with jokes about things like white people taco night. I'm not going to laugh at this shit anymore. 
Stop making jokes at your own expense because you can't dance and it makes you feel white. It isn't cute. Stop silently accepting abuse from bigoted black people, bigoted Korean people, bigoted Indian American people, and every other self-absorbed non-white person that you have been tolerating. And most of you have been tolerating them to some degree or another. Get over your white guilt. It's the same phenomenon as the abused child who thinks he really is worthless and should never have been born because if he weren't bad, daddy wouldn't hurt him so much, would he? This, look how far this stuff goes. This is an article from The Hill um, that came out four days ago. Um, I'll put a quote on your screen here. No, I'll set it up for you first. A New York middle school and its food vendor are apologizing for serving chicken and watermelon. I thought it was chicken and waffles. Chicken and watermelon on lunch for the first day of Black History Month, an error the vendor called unintentionally insensitive. Students at Nyack Middle School in Rockland County outside New York City were served chicken, chicken and waffles with watermelon, foods stereotypically associated with black people. After Aramark, the school's food vendor, changed the menu items without telling the school, according to administrators. <laughs> yeah, because Aramark is uh, just about white supremacy, and white supremacists do their supremacizing by offering foods to, like, oppressed people that they actually like. It is so insidious. So here's a quote. <laughs> quote, the offering of chicken and waffles as an entree with watermelon as a dessert on the first day of Black History Month was inexcusably insensitive and reflected a lack of understanding of our district's vision to address racial bias, <laughs> said a school administrator. How in the hell are you going to call it racial bias to serve people a dish that, that they actually like? <laughs> it's racist to notice that black people like fried chicken, is it now? That's racist to notice that. First of all, who, who, who is a meat eater? does not like fried chicken. Almost every cuisine in the world has its own version of fried chicken. Everybody likes fried chicken. This is the dumbest shit, and it's been dumb for the 20 years that people have been beating on this claim. Uh, how come so few people stand up and say anything about it? You want to know how dumb this is? This is how dumb this is. Do you see Jews screaming anti-Semitism when a school cafeteria serves kosher dishes during the High Holy Days? That's exactly the same thing. They served latkes. There was gefilte fish. Anti-Semitic. Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just sprayed spit out here. I'm serious. This is why I'm belaboring this point. Do you see how fucking dumb this is? This is crazy. She was racist to me by saying good afternoon. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right, that's the end of our first segment. Come back. We're going to talk about Cersei. Cersei? Sounds like something from Game of Thrones. Surrogacy on the other side. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, 
and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. The topic of commercial surrogacy has been a big one for the past few years. This is the buying and selling of babies. It is when a couple who is in some way infertile or not infertile, as we're seeing celebrity uh, celebrities now who don't wish to ruin their bodies with pregnancy have now turned to surrogacy. And it can be done in a number of ways. The egg might be harvested from one woman and implanted in another. The sperm may come from uh, the men who will eventually be the parents. It may come from somebody else. There are all sorts of different permutations here. I do not care about the permutations. Do not care. They make no moral difference. Okay? Um, and we, we as a society have, 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 we talk about surrogacy without any nod to the child who's being bought and sold, to the needs of the child or the primacy of the needs of the child. <clears throat> we speak about this only, only from the point of view of the prospective buyers, the alleged parents. This is an article that is almost six years old now from The Federalist, and I don't know why we're not seeing more articles like this today from the article. Every week or so, another glossy article is published about a gay couple, or a single, who has created children with the help of the ever-growing fertility industry. The latest? Gay men increasingly turn to surrogates to have babies. The article gives an emotional, sympathetic picture of two adult men who use technology to achieve what their joint biology prohibited, having twin daughters. Not surprisingly, the author spends no time considering the emotional well-being of the two little humans created through this expensive, exploitative, and experimental process. Every time I read these articles, always crowned with perfectly captured family pictures, always from the parents' perspective, I can't help but hear the voices of adult children who have suffered because of intentional motherlessness and fatherlessness. So indulge me a little future tripping having immersed myself in the personal narratives of such children and the hard data associated with the outcomes, I thought it only fair to tell this story from the child's perspective based on a composite sample of those who have gone before her. Here is baby girl number two in January 2042 sharing her side of gay men increasingly turned to surrogates to have babies. 
first quote here. My dad shopped for me and my sister. They selected my genetic mother based on her race, skin color, eye color, and made sure she was highly educated, athletic, and had no physical disabilities. They bought my mother's eggs, a lot of them, so they could pick the best embryos. They rented another woman's womb for nine months. Next one. My dads decided that each of them would get one genetic child. So I'm a half-sister with my own twin, which is strange. While my two dads felt it was important to have a biological connection to their children, they didn't seem to think I would want a relationship with my biological mother. I'll read you a few more here. When I was little, I hated Mother's Day. I watched all of my friends celebrate their moms and wished I had one too. I always wondered where my mother was that day. Did she think of me as much as I thought of her? But then I wasn't sure who to think of as my mom. The one I got my nose from or the one that gave me my taste for spicy food? My dance told me to make cards for my grandma instead. It was confusing because women mattered enough to celebrate my grandma, but not enough for me to have a mother. I wanted a mom like my friends, but I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to hurt my dad's feelings. This is what people gloss over in surrogacy. They gloss over it like they don't even see it. This is intentional, intentionally and consciously depriving children of their natural mother, and in some cases, their natural father. This goes against everything we actually learned in the 20th century about children needing stable, healthy, normal attachments to their parents in the early years. Children's egos and temperaments are molded to a huge degree in very early childhood. This is a crucial window. What is not done within that window cannot be redone later. Back to the article. In elementary school, I had some, quote, adjustment issues, and they started me on Ritalin for ADHD in fourth grade. I was pretty connected to my genetic dad, but not so much to my other father, and I felt guilty about that. I struggled with identity issues. You know, there, there's lots of trauma in adoption. The outcomes for adopted children are markedly worse than for children who grew up with their natural mother and father. That does not mean that adoption shouldn't happen. Adoption is sometimes the second best choice among very bad um, situations. So it, I'm not saying adoption shouldn't happen, but it's not an unalloyed, it's not a panacea, right? Those children very frequently have attachment and, and personality problems. And you can think of surrogacy as in a way, a very baroque form of adoption. Quote, on the rare occasions that I dared to voice my desire for a mother, the response from adults was, you're so wanted, or you should feel lucky to have two parents who love you, or that I should be grateful to be alive. There was the sense that, quote, we paid for you, you're our kid, and you're not supposed to go out and seek anyone else. Now, compare. Joan Crawford made her adopted daughter, Christina, whom she bought from a baby broker. She made her daughter repeat, adopted children are luckiest because they were chosen. Why did she do that? 
it was not for her daughter's benefit. Was it? Compare it to my mother. How dare you? I gave you life, she would say to me. These are not the words of loving parents. They are the words of narcissists. But we don't actually need to analyze the words. We can see that they're narcissistic, can't we? We're talking about people who literally buy babies from women, and we're talking about women who sell their babies as accessories, as lifestyle accoutrement. No person who is capable of thinking in a morally coherent way is capable of doing this. So I have a few things to say, both to gay men and to women. Gay men, you are not more important than a child. You are not entitled to have a child. That's not a natural right that you have. You have no moral right to commission a baby to speck and steal it from its mother. You're stealing part of that child's soul. Have you budgeted for her psych meds yet? Have you given any thought to which glorified orphanage you'll dump her in when she becomes a teenager and incorrigible? Gay men, you are not more important than a child. Your desires, your vanities, your genuine desire for children, I don't care what motivates it. The most wonderful parental feelings or the most self-centered parental feelings, I don't care. In either, in all of these cases, you have no moral right to do this. You may have the legal right, but you don't have the moral right. Women, you have no moral right to sell your baby. You are a disgusting, selfish, materialistic, greedy person. If you willingly get pregnant knowing that you are going to give your baby away and traumatize it for money. Women and feminists, this is for you. Surrogate mothers are not victims. And I'm talking to some of my friends and colleagues too. So if this sounds like you, it probably is you. I'm hearing women who I respect say things like, women are being exploited. Women are being bought and sold. And I hear them talking about this and I see them talking about it on TV. And I don't hear a goddamn thing about the baby. I don't hear a goddamn thing about the woman's own fully adult agent, agency, rational choice to sell her baby. She is not a victim. Stop it. This is not a feminist thing. This is not men doing it to women. This is your sister selling their babies. You think you're so goddamn fucking moral just because you're women? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I didn't expect to get quite that mad, but I am that mad about this. 
And I do see it from most women, not a few, most who talk about this. These women are not being exploited. They are selling their babies. They are not victims of misogynist men. And I'm really getting sick of feminist women using this as an example, trying to pretend that this is a damsel in distress. No, it isn't. All the adults in here are, are moral shit shows. Every single one of them, the men, the women, everybody involved with it. The doctors. Children need a mother and a father. I, if, if you are wondering where I come down on this, clip this out, note it down. This is where I will tell you. I think what is best for children, and I think this because it seems to me to be obviously true, and it also seems to be something that all of us knew until recently. Children do best with a married mother and father. That's right, a heterosexual couple. Adoption by any loving parents is much better than a child languishing in the care system. Bless those people who will do so. But it is second best, not first best, second best. A heterosexual couple is better, all things equal. Okay, no, no, I'm not gonna be answering or listening to any comments or pushback about, but what if they're abusive? I said all things being equal and you know I said that, so stop it before you send the comment. Gay adoption is better than a child languishing in a care home, and there are many very loving gay people who will give a child in need of adoption a good home. But we, we homosexuals, gays and lesbians, we are not the first and best choice for this. Deal with it. Deal with it. We're outliers. Our personal emotional difficulties do not excuse participating in human trafficking in the, in the, um, in the case of surrogacy. It doesn't. Your trauma, your experience of discrimination, whatever happened to you, does not give you moral carte blanche to start doing immoral things to other people. And I want to end up by talking about the power of narrative. Because we live by narratives. All of us humans do. We all live by stories. This is part of, the, of human nature. It's not a mistake. It's not a bad thing we do. It's just part of our nature. It's one's first emotional reaction to an issue like this is often very telling. The first thing that people feel moved to comment on regarding an issue like this often gives us an insight into what emotional narrative software is running behind our frontal cortex. Even among viewers of this show, many people have a narrative in their head. I can see that they have this narrative. And the narrative says, quote, women's rights and dignity are in peril all the time and are more important than any other considerations, end quote. I'm not saying that people would consciously say that out loud, but I am saying indeed that that is the emotional narrative running behind them. <clears throat> How do I know this? Because a lot of people jump directly. The first thing they say about surrogacy is they jump directly to outrage about exploited women. They're angry about surrogacy, but only because it's, quote, buying women's bodies, exploiting women. Do you know what doesn't happen for these people, what they don't comment on? There's no mention of the fact that it's buying a baby and trafficking a human baby until somebody points that out, and I often do, but they don't think of it first. This kind of narrative, it's, 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 an, it's a kind of hypnosis that you're not aware you're under. This happened to me. 
Um, get out. You know, I hope you're drunk by now. I don't know how many times I've mentioned my mother, but you should be getting a good buzz on at this point. Of course, you know, um, I had a very abusive childhood um, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it when I grew up. I had to, to rewrite history. I would go on and on to my friends about my poor mother, how she was going to be homeless, how I didn't know how she was going to pay for her bills. Um, and they would, and, and I would often ask people for money to help my mother. I'm ashamed of this behavior, but this is something that I did. And my friends got more and more frustrated with me. And one day, one of my closest friends said to me, Josh, your mother didn't visit you in the hospital when you had a heart attack. She didn't even come to your college graduation. Your mother is exploiting you, and she's done it for years. The narrative in my head, however, was my mother is a saint and is only depressed because we live in a misogynist society that hates single mothers. So fixed, this narrative was so fixed in my head that I tolerated the most unloving and insulting parasitic behavior from my mother, all while feeling that I was hurting her. It's just like that clip of the white women we saw in the last segment. It's a humiliation ritual. Come back after the break. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Welcome back. <clears throat> I told you last week that Kevin <clears throat> was in Tucson. He's still in Tucson, and um, he's been practicing. I think he wants to switch roles. I think he wants me to be producer, and he wants to be the face. So let's um, let's roll Kevin in a parking lot in Tucson, Arizona. All lined up. Waiting for bread. Oh my God, this is the best bread in town, guys. This is the best bread in town. We're gonna wait until three o'clock in the afternoon to get our bread. Delicious. He's getting better, isn't he? He's improving. Get, getting better on the voice and the vocal fry. I like, I like. He was out, I know you can't see it because it's really low resolution, but he texted this to me. He's driving through some business plaza and there's apparently a bakery where everybody loves the bread. 
So <laughs> there's a line all like a block long, maybe longer than a block of people standing there on a Saturday afternoon. And he's just sitting there in his car going like, I, I love the bread. I'm supposed to eat the bread. <laughs> it just, it just, it, it cracked me up. Nice vocal fry, Kevin. I'm going to work with you. Um, you've, you've got the foundations down. We, we're just going to, we're going to close your throat down a little more and show you how to really elongate it. Okay. But good job. All right. Time for borderline bumptious babes and prison daddies. There are always women and, and gay men. Uh, by the way, <laughs> about to say also applies to gay men. Uh, there are just fewer of us to get noticed doing it. There are always women who are attracted to the baddest of bad boys. And the first time I remember hearing about this phenomenon was when I learned the stories of women who were writing love letters to spree killer and cult leader Charles Manson. Um, and in a milder way, that kind of behavior that um, I want to marry the guy in prison, I'm in love with the convicted murderer, it, 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 it's a difference of degree and not of kind. It strikes me as the same psychological orientation that you see in women who continually pick violent and abusive boyfriends and husbands every single time they have a relationship. He's violent. He's a drug dealer. He wants to pimp her out, and they just do it over and over and over again. What's going on with a lot of these women, can't prove this, but it's a very reasonable um, supposition to make, it's, is borderline personality disorder. Borderline women are very vulnerable to narcissistic and psychopathic men. You can see it in the literature, the, the, the dyad, the marriage dyad of the narcissist and the borderline is one of the most common pairings that mental health professionals see when they've got a, they've got clients, they've got a family in a cluster B situation. And it, it, it can go with either sex, but it tends generally to be a man with narcissistic personality disorder and a, and a woman with borderline personality disorder. Their dysfunctions mesh, the gears mesh very, very nicely. <clears throat> Doesn't mean that it's a nice relationship, but, but there's a reason why they get together and mesh. So the borderline women are, are vulnerable to narcissistic men, psychopathic men. And those of us, you know, people who don't necessarily have full-on diagnosable borderline personality disorder but have leftovers from trauma, from being raised traumatically, are also vulnerable to these kinds of people. And, I mean, I'm one of those people. In fact, I run a free service for girlfriends. I, I tell them, show me the man that you are thinking of going on a date with. Show me his picture. Show me a little video or something like this. If I'm attracted to him, if I think he's hot, he's a narcissist or a psychopath, so run, bitch, run. <laughs> Get out of there. <laughs> if I think he's hot, it's a really bad sign. All right. So this is from the Daily Mail in Britain. I just love saying that. I love it. Yeah, I know. It talks about things that your respectable newspapers pretend aren't real. <clears throat> Quote. 
Accused quadruple murderer Brian Koberger is driving one woman crazy in love. Brittany Highslope insists he's the perfect man for her. She says this. My love interest is named Brian and is accused of murder. And I just wish to connect with him above anyone else. The 35-year-old Kentucky single mom of a 16-year-old son gushed in one of her many Facebook posts about Brian Koberger, whom she has never met or communicated with. God help that 16-year-old boy. And frankly, God help anybody who comes into contact with him over the next few years because he's likely to turn out to be dangerous himself. Brian Koberger was arrested in January for murdering four Idaho college students in November 2022. It was a big story on the news here in the States. Here's a picture of Mr. Koberger, the accused. <clears throat> now, Brittany's been writing all about her love interest on social media. Back to the story. High Slope, who repeatedly points to her and Koberger's astrological signs, they're both Scorpios, and birth charts is explaining why he could be her, quote, divine masculine counterpart. She isn't just drawn to the former criminology PhD student for his smarts and quiet courtroom demeanor. Former criminology student. Is that so? Interesting, isn't it? I wonder why somebody who ended up being a quadruple murderer and tried to get away with it might have started out as a criminology student. Hmm. No, no, that can't be right. He wasn't a real criminology student because it's like a doctor. Like, no doctor or nurse would ever, like, cut a kid's genitals off. So if any doctor or nurse ever did that, they're, they're not really a doctor or nurse. <laughs> Here's another strange and she I mean she's got a lot of social media posts about she is she love her some Brian Cobra. Um <clears throat> and she writes in this sort of strange way. So another one she says when it shows the lovemaking scene between the man and the woman that are two different characters in the movie although it's not very explicit I'd want to be with my love interest, Brian, in those ways. <laughs> she wrote, uh, bizarrely referring to a scene in the 1987 vampire film, The Lost Boys, between actors Jason Patrick and Jamie Gertz. <laughs> I would want to be with my love interest, Brian, in those ways, 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 ways. <laughs> It sounds like John Waters' dialogue. It literally does. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to see Brittany? Let's see Brittany. Of course you do. That's Brittany, bitch. Look at your screen. Hashtags. Blink, blink. <laughs> How about another one? Here is breastful Brittany. She's all, all this and more can be yours. <laughs> Call now. Now, Brian Koberger is not Britney's first love. Not her first prison love. Can you guess who was? I'll bet you can. 
That's right. It's Charles Manson. Check this shit out. This is the uh, <laughs> love collage she done put up about Charlie Manson. <laughs> Ooh. Well, Brian, Cober Brian Koberger also was not her second love. Want to take a guess about who that might have been? You won't know the name, but you won't be surprised. It's Kobe Hall. Cody Hall. Cody? Kobe? I don't know. Whatever. I don't really care. He's a convicted murderer. So here she's got a collage of her second love interest uh, with a picture, a mugshot picture of him uh, next to a sparkly I love you with confetti. And it says, when I saw you, I fell in love and you smiled because you knew. Again, John Waters dialogue. So she also sent love letters to Mr. Hall, convicted murderer Cody or Kobe Hall. And here are some selected um, Britney quotes. <clears throat> Quote, with me being deprived of a love and sex life for so long and only wanting one with someone I truly want wholeheartedly, with my feelings for Brian, I've had to be true to myself in reaching out to him. Okay. Oh, I think I mixed these up in time. Well, that could have been about Kobe Hall. You want to know the funny thing? This chick is so crazy that convicted murderer Mr. Hall blocked her from visiting in prison, him in prison. <laughs> oh. She wasn't happy about this. Here's what she had to say about that. I visited him, put money in his commissary account, wrote him letters, and I wanted to be in a loyal, committed relationship with him. She reminisced in 2018 about Hall, who wound up blocking her from visiting him in jail. When I say I was in love with him, I mean I was completely and truly in love with him. Deeply, madly, truly. Emphasis on the madly. Uh, all right, I'm going to leave you with, uh, with something a little bit positive. Because we don't we don't see very many optimistic things these days. Um, we've had a lot of videos on here showing parents who show up at school board meetings to excoriate the board for allowing pornographic materials in the school library, books like Gender Queer, which teach children that they can be born in the wrong body and that depict actual graphic oral sex and fellatio fully depicted right in there in a book for kids. Um, and for their trouble, the parents, uh, many of these parents, as they actually read out loud to the assembled people in the board, uh, the school board, they're reading from a book that is in that school's library, and the school board is shutting them down and saying that they're they're speaking obscenities and, and they can't speak this in public. It's amazing, but the children can read this. Um, but I find it a even more inspiring when it is a young person who was just very recently a student who has something to say. So let's take a listen to this young man. Oh, it's interesting that I'm here on a Tuesday night. I would think I'd be, you know, doing something more productive than this. But, you know, this, the classes come so low where a 19-year-old like me has to come up and address adults because what you guys are doing is just childlike. I find it a coincidence that you teach young men and women within this district to act on their feelings and you inevitably identify them as their own personal feelings. It's okay that you're feeling depressed. Matter of fact, that is actually who you really are. 
or you feel like your parents don't care for you, no, it's because they really never did care for you and you should be against them. Your parents are your enemies. It's okay if you feel scared. It's okay to be weak. This is a mindset that you're forcing these students to adopt. You're teaching them how to be vulnerable in the worst possible way. You're teaching the new generation of men and women that they don't have a duty or responsibility within life and that they can just act on their feelings and just act how they feel and you don't have to act as a man or woman should. Let me tell you what happens when you have the men of your community of your community act just upon their feelings. You get child predators, you get thieves, you get rapists, you get violence. Men who not control their emotions are dangerous. You find a man that is stoic, he isn't going to hurt the people around him. He's going to sit and think about his every action and very carefully analyze his next move. He's going to be a good man who is strong, fearless, and protects and provides for his loved ones and his family. That is what a true man should aspire to be. Not a man who's afraid of his own shadow and who looks to the school's curriculum to figure out who he is and what his own purpose is in life. These students aren't your kids. These are not your personal sons or daughters. So stop pretending to be their parent. Stop pretending that you care for them and all you care about is your paycheck and your deceptive ideologies. Alvarez, I want to touch on what you said earlier, saying thank you to the young lady who danced beautifully up here. You said thank you for being here and reminding us all while we're here, and that's for the students. Are we really here for the students? Are we here for your derogatory, idealistic, vulgar worldviews to indoctrinate the next generation coming? Now that's what I'm talking about. Thanks for watching. We'll see you again next week.